0: Well good morning everybody. You're looking great. First time I get a chance to look at you, but I heard you singing, I'm telling you. And uh wasn't worship great today? Uh, thank the Lord for that. I want to uh, introduce myself. I'm Ben. I'm the Gateway Church pastor here and uh, part of the team, lead the team. And uh, one of the things I get the privilege to do in January is to remind us why we exist. And so I'm going to ask that you would join me and stand with me. And let's uh, just proclaim our mission together and then our vision. But our mission first, that we are, say it with me, a spirit-filled church committed to glorifying God by connecting the people of the lakeshore with God, with each other, and with the world. All right, give yourselves a hand. Not too bad. All right, good. And our vision is who we believe God wants us to be, and so let's say that, to be a healthy, multiplying church known for making an impact in our community and in our world. Now, you can be seated, and in your uh, bulletin that we list those, and on the back of the mission and vision is the core values and the one, two, three. The fourth one down talks about relationships and uh, enjoying authentic community and fellowship. And that's where I want to kind of focus in this morning just briefly, that we are called to be together. Last week we talked about connecting with God. Now today we want to talk about connecting with each other and then asking the question how do we live out the mission how do we live it out in our day-to-day now there's lots of ways we kind of facilitate that here at the church Uh, we do sunday night lives throughout the summer which are an absolute riot we have men's and women's events our men's breakfast just in another week and a half is you are not going to want to miss it guys in fact uh, something special we've got a missionary guest that will be with us and be sharing and uh, just an incredible time together um, the women get together quarterly. The last women's event, there were over 90 ladies that showed up to be in the presence to, of God, but then to be together. How great is that? We talk about connect groups, which meet on the first full week and the third full week of the, of the month, and uh, we talk about that. And I was asking Pastor Bobby this morning, I said, hey, wh- how many of our adults are actively involved in connect groups at this point? Now, we're not satisfied with this, but let's celebrate. We are, right now, we have about a third, a little over a third of our uh, congregation adults that are participating in Connect groups. So that's one out of every three of you. Now, the other two-thirds... You're gonna get an a minus all right because the others they get an A plus all right but uh, but that's that's great and we want to let you know that we're working hard for a new launch in March a whole new group of connect groups and we want you to be thinking even now the how can I connect? We also can offer Get Connected, which continues every six weeks, just continues to go and go and go. That's the first place to connect. You're saying, how do I get connected? Get, come to Get Connected. That's on the first and on the third Sunday evenings, and we typically meet here at the church. And what's great is I know that even... Though we have official events, there are many of you that get together on a regular basis and are connecting outside of together, living life together. How many know we're better together, right? And when we get isolated, our youth ministry focuses on how to connect students together. Our children's ministry, back in the back, Rachel, is connecting our kids together. All of these things. And I understand that for some of us that comes more natural than others, but even if it's not natural it is absolutely critical that we are connecting with each other. We talk about a a progression of spiritual growth, and I want to put up that diagram here. And on the right-hand side, uh, we talked about salvation. We talked about our connection with God last week. But as we move on around this, uh, this picture here, on the very bottom is our connecting with each other logo. And I want you to know that when you give your heart to the Lord, and maybe you have or haven't done that, but when you do that, that is incredible. It's a great gift, but you are considered, according to Scripture, an infant believer. And how many know we are not intended to stay as infants? We are to grow. And so we want to be moving along this way, and our connection with each other certainly helps with that. Now, in this diagram, I love that in each of these quadrants, um, we want to be moving along, but if we get stalled in any of these we can, uh, we can actually go backwards. We can um, uh, uh, hold up the progression, hold up the growth in our lives. And certainly when we get to that place of connecting with each other, if we are not connected, we become disconnected, and that will keep you from becoming a mature disciple and ultimately total surrender, which we're going to talk about next week. And so we want to encourage you. We cannot underestimate how important it is for us to be connecting with each other. And so we're going to say it aloud. We're going to say it proud. And next week, we're going to look at the final part of our mission to connect with the world. And I'll just say, if you've not been here for one of our mission services, you want to be here next week. We get the flags out. We've got a missionary that we don't support yet and that we love to pick up, Lord willing. And so we want you to come and to meet the Prevost family. Um, It's going to be a great time and uh, just being together, connecting with the world. And that will be next week. Um, and that is all I want to say about that. Now, to the Word and to what God has put on our hearts today. We have been in the book of John over the last couple weeks. We started on January 1st, and we're studying the book of John. And it's great that in the book of John, it gives us a clue in John chapter 20, verse 31. It kind of answers the reason why did the Apostle John write the book of John. And this is what it says. It says, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life. And we talk about eternal life, but also life, abundant life on this side of eternity. Life in His name. And we're going to look at that week in and week out. We are answering the question, who Jesus is, or who is Jesus? And so far, we've studied two weeks in chapter 1, and we kind of took our time in chapter 1 and uh, established some background that was really important. Last week, we looked at chapter 2, and uh, the plan from this point on, and really it was the plan from the beginning, is we are going to tackle a chapter a week over the next season. It should take us to about uh, the summer. And we're going to do that. And we believe that as we do that, we are going to disciple each other. We're going to dig deep. We're going to teach you how to study on Sunday mornings, but also to do some pre-study in advance and some post-study after our Sunday morning time together. So let me give you an example. Last week, we looked at chapter 2, and we looked at the first 11 verses. We didn't get to all the verses. Uh, we looked at the miracle at Cana. It was great. But verses 12 through 25 talks about Jesus clearing the temple. And I would encourage you to dig deep, read that, reread it, and, and ask God, what are you trying to say here? Why, is this, why did the Apostle John talk about this particular story? And, uh, and I encourage you to do that. So now we move to John chapter 3. And John chapter 3 is arguably the most famous chapter in the Bible. It contains the greatest verse in all of Scripture, the most memorized verse uh, ever, John 3, say it with me, 16, right? It's become part of our culture as a church, but even in pop, in pop culture, it's seen all over the place. Think about it, the last time you saw John three sixteen outside of church. Has anyone ever seen that? Absolutely. This summer I was traveling when I was on sabbatical to um, California to go to Bethel Church, and, and it was great, and said someone said, hey, when you get to California, you have to go to In-N-Out Burger. Has anyone heard of In-N-Out Burger? Okay, we got like two or three, all right? And that was the same with first service. I'd never heard of it, and so I'm all excited. We get off the plane, get in our Jeep that we were renting, which was pretty cool, and I'm like, hey, let's find the first in and out that we can find. And so we did. There was one right there in Sacramento, and I go in, and I'm I'm the typical guy that just, you know, I have a lot of energy, typically, I guess. And, uh, and so I go in, and I'm like, oh, man, this is my first time. And, and, uh, and normally, you get the, you know, okay, what do you want, you know, right? And I'm telling you, I must have got the cream of the crop because I was excited. I said, hey, I heard about In-N-Out. I said, tell me the story. And I thought, you know, they'd tell me a 10-second story of the and I must have been one of their best employees, she stepped aside after my order, and for the next five minutes, she shared the story of In-N-Out Burgers. And I was like, okay, but what part of their story, and the reason I remember that this week, is that on every cup, they put a verse from the Bible. And most of the time, they put John 3.16 right on the cup. Just a way to be an example. It's a Christian company. Then I was digging in and I was kind of looking for this example. And and there are other companies that do the same thing as well. How many have ever heard of Forever 21, right? I said that first service. My wife said, hey, my skirt is from Forever 21. She was here for service. And I'm like, cool. Well, on Forever 21, on every single bag, John 3.16. How about that, right? But where do we see it most often in pop culture? Sporting events, right? How many have ever seen... John 3.16 somewhere, you know, at, at a sporting event or on TV, something like that. Well, a couple years ago, Tim Tebow, uh, he wrote under his eyes in 2009, John 3.16, right? And, uh, and what's interesting about this is that uh, when I dug in and looked at that story, uh, it was in 2009, he was playing the BCS championship game. He was playing for Florida, and uh, he put that for the first time. Three years to the exact date later, he was still doing that, John 316, and it was his first NFL playoff game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, Steelers, aren't, aren't there some Steeler fans here? Yeah, maybe. OK. I, I, maybe it was first, first first. but anyway, what's interesting about this it made John 3:16 just go crazy on Google, is Tebow threw that game. For 316 yards. Pretty cool. What's more interesting, his average uh, was 30, 31.6 yards per completion, the highest single game postseason completion average in the NFL history. It goes on to say some other things, but a couple other things. The Steelers finished the game with a time of possession of, believe it or not, 31 minutes and six seconds. And at the time, Tebow threw the game-winning 80-yard touchdown pass to Demarius Thomas, right? The NFL's longest postseason pass in overtime history. CBS' final quarter-hour overnight rating were, believe it or not, 31.6. Now, all those things kind of collided, were kind of crazy. And the, average, uh, the, um, the media ran with it and literally millions of hits people typing in John 3:16 and made a big deal. And you say, all right, so that's John chapter 3. Well, not only John 3:16 is there, but one of the greatest stories in the Bible is also in John 3 six, in John chapter 3. The story of Nicodemus. How many have ever heard it, right? And if you've uh, read through the Bible, you certainly have got there. When I was a kid's pastor, I used to call uh, Nicodemus, I'd call him Nick at night because he came to Jesus at night and we always had a good time with that. And, but we got this predicament. We're going to take one week in the chapter 3 and we've got these great stories. And then as I'm praying, as I'm studying, certainly the easy, the natural thing is to study one of those The Lord directed my attention to the end of chapter 3, something much more unfamiliar and actually quite (laughs) hard to share. And so I shared this with the staff on Tuesday. I said, hey, I was praying yesterday, and I had this stirring, and I was looking for some collaboration. Again, how many know we're better together? And so I'm picking the brains of the staff and saying, and uh, what's great is within minutes, it was confirmed in my heart that where the Lord was directing me on Monday is where we needed to be this morning. And uh, and so we, and I said, boy, we're going to take this message, this study, to another level. In fact, what I'm about to do is su- a suicide preaching mission. Because I said to the staff, I said, if I preach what we have just discussed, people will leave right during the message. And that's what I told them. And didn't I say that? And I was like... And I've locked the doors, right? And and so we're not letting you go. But at the end of John chapter three, there is an area that I have personally struggled with that uh, came to life. And my guess is that you may have struggled. Many of us do. And it's connected to our sin nature. And it's hard to look at it. And it's uncomfortable. And uh, we're going to do our best to get our mind around it. And as I was thinking, how do I want to start? How do I want to look? And I just realized that, you know, I've been the pastor here just over 10 years now at the Gateway Church. 19 years in full-time ministry. And there is an area of struggle that we struggled with as a church in Dayton, and we struggle with it here as well. And, uh, and I've learned a lot over the years, you know, how to create a sermon and I'm still learning. I've, I know how to preach a funeral, uh, counseling if I need to, right? I can, I've learned how to lead a staff over the last 10 years and activities and events. Those things are, you know, a joy to kind of participate. But there's one consistent perplexity when it comes to being a pastor or leading a group of people. And that is how can I get my church to think about lost people. It's tough. And there's a lot of pastors that struggle with this. Let me put it another way. When I say my church, I mean the people, not the building, obviously. But how can I get our church to conduct themselves in a manner so that as they deal with one another and practically when people come who need grace, amen, right, that they would feel welcomed and invited that they would be inspired and that there would be real life change. And it's not an easy thing to solve. James McDonald, a great pastor in Chicago, in fact, the material that we're going through with the men on our men's breakfast is called Act Like Men. That's from uh, James McDonald. Um, his church just this weekend released a movie. You may have heard of it or may, maybe haven't. It's called The Resurrection of Gavin Stone. My wife and I, we went to see it last night. I recommend the movie. I I don't ever recommend movies, but this movie I would recommend. You could take your family to see it. It's great. It's witty. It's fun. But they attack three different things in this movie. Um, How do you become welcoming? Let's go ahead and put those up there. How do you welcome people without judgment? How do you love people without condition? And how do you forgive people without limit? Let me just say, if we get those things right, it's time to add more chairs. It's time to add another service. It's time to build like yesterday, right? Because this is why we should exist, and we, should, we have to address this. And it all deals with reaching lost people. So today's focus, the key verse, is going to allow us to become a powerful resource personally when we're intended to do or to kind of help us with our intended purpose to reach one more. And with that, turn with me, if you're not already there, to John chapter 3. And I want to look at verse 30 because that's going to be the key, and then we're going to pray. Verse 30 says this, He, that's Jesus. Jesus must become greater. I must become less. Lord, those few verses or few words are so challenging. God, I pray that in the next few moments, Lord, that you'd capture our hearts, you capture our minds, and God, that you'd just bring us to a place of decision and of response. God, I pray that you're, it would be less of me, more of you. God, I pray, uh, Lord, use me uh, beyond my wildest imagination. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, before we get to the context here where this great verse is found, I want to just talk about Nicodemus. And I want to give you an assignment. Read the entire chapter of John this week, okay? And when you look at the story of Nicodemus, I just want to just briefly take 30 seconds... Oh, he overcame some incredible obstacles to know Jesus' answer about eternal life. If the goal for us is to exit this life with eternal life, which, by the way, a lot of the rabbis would have been talking about it. In fact, Nicodemus, the reason he came was to find out the answer here. Um, uh, if that's the goal, you have to know what obstacles you have to overcome to, in, in order to get. Uh, eternal life. Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 through 23 uh, talks about many people will say, I went to church, or my family were Christians, or they will say, I did this in your name. And what does the Bible say? Jesus will say, I didn't even know you. Depart from me. In In James chapter 2 verse 19, it says the demons believe in Jesus and they tremble at that. And the idea here is you can even believe who Jesus is. But until you accept him, until you understand that, you don't have eternal life. Nicodemus found eternal life, the truth of the gospel. And my prayer is that as you dig into John chapter 3, that you will find eternal life as well. And uh, just I wanted to give you that nugget and maybe whet your appetite to get and to look at the rest of John chapter 3. But we're not going to study that. And so we're going to look at this verse 30 and then the context there, and we'll start in verse 22. Let's look at it. It says after this Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean country countryside where he spent some time with them and he baptized. Now, we'll pause here for a moment. We see at this point in John's gospel um, Jesus ministry is unfolding and it says after this, so that's after Nicodemus, that's after John 3:16 and it, and he focuses here on baptism which was a huge role in Jesus' ministry. Turn from your sin and then be baptized, right? It's an outward example of what's already happened on the inside. And at this point uh, in Jesus' ministry and for John the Baptist, certainly, it was a baptism of repentance and purification, preparing themselves for the coming of the Messiah. And so what was happening here is there was a revival happening. For 400 years, there were no prophets, and now John the Baptist had been heralding this, and now Jesus is joining him, and they they are bringing people to a place of purification and of repentance. And that's where we pick up verse 23. It says, and now John also was baptizing at the Anon River uh, near Salem, because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. Now, pause here. John the Baptist and Jesus, their ministries were overlapping. In fact, uh, most commentators believe for several months that they would have done ministry kind of side by side. Matthew and Mark, uh, in those gospels, when it talks about John the Baptist at Jesus' baptism, uh, the very next thing is, G- is John the Baptist is in prison. But here in John's account, we see that John the Baptist and Jesus, it was like two bands of baptizers, At the same time. And they were not only just baptizing in the same city, they were baptizing in the same body of water, close enough that they could have seen each other. And that's where we come to verse 25. It says An argument developed between some of John's disciples, that's John the Baptist, and certain Jews over the matter of ceremonial washing. An argument. I love the way the NIV translates this because other versions, the King James Version says it was a question arose. The New American Standard says a discussion. We don't know if there was elevated tone or not. Uh, the, the NLT says a debate, and the Amplified says a controversy. But let's just go with an argument ensued about purification. It was about baptism, and that's all we get. We don't understand what they say. We don't, we don't know the details, but let me say, when we read verse 26, we know that they were all worked up. It says, they came to John, verse 26, and said to him, Rabbi, that man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one who tes- you testified about. Remember in John chapter 1, he, Jesus uh, comes on the scene. John the Baptist says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He kind of identifies who Jesus is. And he says, remember that guy that you testified. Look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. There was this issue, this debate. They were noticing that the crowd on their side was getting smaller, and Jesus' crowd was growing. You say, wait a minute. Well, whose baptism was greater? At this point, Jesus was performing miracles and signs, so people were moving in that direction. John the Baptist, we don't know, not even one miraculous sign. But John's answer, he doesn't come and talk about baptism when he answers this debate, this argument. He takes the conversation in another direction. It has nothing to do with baptism and everything to do with identity. And in the next few verses, we're going to see who John is, we're going to see who Jesus is, and then we'll look at the response, and, and then, we'll, then we'll respond. But first of all, let's look at who is John? John the Baptist, right? Verse 27, let's look there. It says, To, to this, John replied, A person can receive only what he has given from them from heaven. You yourselves can testify in, in, that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of you. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when the, he hears the bridegroom's voice that joy is mine, and it is now complete. Verse 30, he must become greater, I must become less. Now, when we were introduced to John the Baptist in John chapter 1, in verse 8, John says, look, I am not the light, I'm the witness to the light. In verse 20, he says, I'm not the Messiah, I'm not the Christ. Verse 21, he says, I am not the prophet. He was a prophet, but not the prophet. In verse 23, he says he's the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Verse 27, he describes himself in such a humble fashion that he says, I can't even tie the straps on the sandals of the Messiah who is coming. And now here in John chapter 3, verse 29, he calls himself a friend of the bridegroom. We can put two and two together. He's describing what we would consider the best man of the wedding. And today, the best man has two responsibilities. Number one, to throw a great bachelor party, fun, right? Without getting the groom hurt, right? (laughs) I mean, that's the number one. And what's the second thing a best man has to do? Guard the ring, right? Make sure that no one loses the ring. And that's it, done. But in Jesus' day... The friend of the bridegroom was responsible to invite all the guests to plan the event. He would have been the coordinator, the overseer of the event, which was a week long. We talked about that at the wedding at Cana. And the goal of the, bride, of the friend of the bridegroom was that they, the wedding would go without a problem. And what John is saying, he's saying, this is my job. One commentator called it radical Self-forgetfulness. I really like that. Look right past me, John would say, so you can see Jesus. Verse 30, I love that verse. He must become greater, I must become less. Before the wedding, you hear from the best man, especially in that context. But at the wedding, we understand it was never about the best man. It was always about the groom or the bridegroom. And in this case, it was always, always about Jesus. Jesus now had eclipsed John. John steps out of the way and pushes Jesus to the forefront. He says, look, I'm not the Savior. And it just begs the question for us, what would people say about your life in regards to this? Your attitude, your actions. For John... He was quick to say, it's not about me. So who is John? We understand that. We also see in this passage who Jesus is. And that's the theme of all of John. We'll move through these quickly. There's six things here, starting in verse 31. Let's look at it in verse 31. First of all, Jesus is above all. It says here, the one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is, again, above all. Jesus is supreme. He's number one. He's above it all, right? The second thing we see here is that Jesus knows it all. Verse 32, let's look what it says. It says, he testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. In other words, he knows what no one else knows. He knows it all. The third thing is that Jesus, his words are God's words. Let's look at it. Whoever has accepted it as has certified that God is truthful, for the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. He speaks the very words of God of God. Number four, Jesus gives the Spirit. Verse uh, the end of that says, for God gives the Spirit without limit. In some of your versions, it says, for He, that's referring to Jesus, God, uh, and He gives the Spirit, I love it, without limit. Number five, Jesus owns everything. We see that in verse thirty-five. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. Everything that Jesus has is in Jesus is in uh, His hands. And I love Je- Jesus or John's response. I'm sorry. In verse twenty-seven, he says, "Anything that I have is from Jesus." And the last thing we see here is so important is that Jesus is the Savior. And we've studied this before. But look at it. Verse thirty-six it says, "Whoever believes in the Son, that's Jesus, has eternal life." But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. It is only by believing in Jesus that a person receives eternal life. Period. If you want to be right with God, there's one way. It's through Jesus. So we see who John is. We see who Jesus is here. But let's look at John's response. And, and, and before we do that, let's talk about why did the Apostle John bring John the Baptist back in the mix here? John chapter 21, verse 25 says there there's so many stories about Jesus that they couldn't all can be contained in one book, right? And so why does he come back to John the Baptist? Well, in John chapter 3, verse 28, John the Baptist is saying, look, I'm not the Christ, Verse 29 he says I'm the friend of the bridegroom the kicker is verse 30 he must increase I must decrease but let's look at 29 because I see I think there's some truth here that's important it says the bride belongs to the bridegroom the friend who attends the bridegroom attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice that joy is mine and it is now complete this is so important joy is now complete true joy happiness does not come from having a good self-image or having your identity in stuff true joy does not come it's not tied to a career or to a sport or to your school it's not tied to uh, an elevated status The world's mantra would say, well, and if we were left to our own, the more that I increase, the more my joy will increase, right? And yes, that could happen for a moment. How many have ever heard sin is pleasurable for a moment, right? But it's pretty fleeting, right? There's uh, there's some pretty big crashes, right? Uh, And certainly we've all experienced that. But for John the Baptist, it's just the opposite. And by the way, John the Baptist, Jesus considered him one of the greatest men to ever live. And when you read this, it's it's hard to imagine, but John the Baptist had a whole lot to lose by stepping out of the limelight. And he let it go freely. He was the man. He was baptizing people. There there were a lot of things going on. There was a lot of action. Uh, there, There was so much. But now as he steps back, his joy is now overflowing. I love it. One, one uh, thing I was reading early on in the week, and I couldn't find it, but essentially it was describing John the Baptist as if he was a star in the sky. And in the night sky, a star is beautiful, right? But what happens when the sun comes up? The star dissipates and ultimately disappears. And That's exactly what happened with John the Baptist. And then it says he was full of joy. And you think about that. By stepping back, now there's joy. And I ask you, where does joy come from in our lives? Where do we get joy? If we were to take a joy status or a stock of our joy, the truth is, to the degree you put your stock in yourself, your status in you, your joy will diminish. Your life will be absent of joy. That's just the truth of the matter. But if Christ is increasing, if Jesus becomes number one, then joy is found everywhere. Now, it doesn't mean that everything's perfect, but there's joy, fullness of joy. It changes you, and it changes your outlook on life. So the big question this morning is, who is number one? Who's number one? It's a good question. Who's number one in the way you spend your time? Who's number one in the way you spend your finances? Who's number one in the words that you speak? Who's number one in your relationships, in, in your marriages for those that are married? This, as the staff and I talked about this, it got pretty tight, pretty quick. Uh, this, that we're saying who's number one in your parenting? Who's number one in your sporting events? Who's number one in a busy schedule, in a self-centered society? Who's number one as you run your business? And I ask this, the question, number one is, how do I decrease? And how many of you agree? It's hard to answer that. It's not natural for us to become less. And I think the best way to answer that question, how do I decrease, is by asking, maybe as a reciprocal question, how does Jesus Increase. How do you prioritize time with Jesus? How does it affect the music that you listen to, or the shows that you watch, or the the things that you read? It's more than just sharing a photo or a meme on social media. It's more than having a bumper sticker that says Jesus, or maybe a fish, or a Jesus T-shirt. Right? Pastor Pete said it. I, and I'm glad he said it. it don't uh, Anyway, uh, he said, if your relationship with Jesus doesn't affect everything in your life, you may be missing it. That's true. Pastor Pete said it. I, I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> and in our busy schedules, right? And in our culture where we idolize kids, for those of you that are raising kids, we put our kids first so often. In our self-centered lives, in our parenting, in our marriages, And our work. And you say, well, I intended to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? That was the goal, right? But we're busy. And we don't always do it. Pastor Bobby shared a story which was great. He said in his high school career, um, when he was in high school, he quit the wrestling team to get closer to God. I love that. I was like, "Hey, that's my story," and I had never shared that with Bobby, but I know many of you have heard. I did the same thing my senior year, starting uh, off guard, basketball team at Troy High School, huge school, only took twelve. It was a great honor to play with them. I felt like my relationship with the Lord was waning, and I and I turned it in. I didn't touch a basketball for an entire year, and so we were sharing kind of a common story. And the reality is that there are barriers. To making Jesus great in our lives. Certainly ourselves, our lifestyles, our possessions, even our dreams and our of the future. Uh, many times we leave God out of the picture, our image, lots of things. And the question I want to know for me and hopefully for you is how can we, how can I give God everything. How can we make Jesus great? And then let's bring a full circle to that first question that I was kind of struggle with. How can I get the church to think about lost people? The reality is if we put Jesus at the forefront and we become less, what does Jesus care about more than anything? People. And it, If we understand this principle, we will make a difference to reach one more. As the worship team comes and kind of sets the stage for a response, verse 30 says, He must become greater, I must become less. Boy, if there was ever a verse that has challenged me, this one certainly does. There's a song that over the last summer when I was on sabbatical became a theme song, and many of you know this. It's a song we sang earlier, Have It All. And I love that this song, as we sing it again here momentarily, it really, I think, was written right out of John chapter 3. You'll see some correlations as we sing the early on verses. But I want us to set our hearts before the Lord and just believe God to do something supernatural this morning inside of each of us. And so let's just set our hearts there. And Bobby, why don't you lead us in this great song? You know, this morning, we talk about surrender. We talk about making Jesus great, less of me. The reality is is there are probably some here this morning that you know about Jesus. You may even come to church. You may Your family might be considered Christian. But the reality is, you've never made a decision personally to follow Jesus, to accept Jesus as your personal Savior. You know, verse 30 says this very clearly. Whoever believes in the Son will have eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son... Will not see him, for God's wrath remains on them. Don't be the person that knows about Jesus but doesn't know Jesus. So I just want to invite you this morning to respond. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior. The Bible is pretty clear that all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are guilty. But the Bible also says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us from all unrighteousness. He takes away our sins. And if you're ready to make that kind of decision, you're ready to confess your sins, if you're ready to put your belief in Jesus Christ, I just want you to lift your hand right where you are. Who this morning? Yes. Amen. Who else this morning, second service, saying it's time? Yeah. Amen. Who else saying, boy, I don't want to live another moment not knowing if I would have eternal life. Just slip up your hand if that's you. There's one young lady over here. For the sake of the one, would you just repeat a prayer after me? Let's do it together. It's not the words of this prayer that save you. It's believing what we're about to say. So I'm just going to lead you and let's say this together. Say, "Dear heavenly Father, Dear heavenly Father please forgive me." for all my sins. I'm putting my faith in you. I believe that you died on the cross, that you rose again, and now you can live inside of me, giving me life eternal. Thank you for salvation and for taking me as I am. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You know, the Bible says that Jesus, he takes our sin as far as the east is from the west. I don't think he technically forgets our sin, but he never holds it against us. I mean, God can't forget, right? He's all, but that's another story. So now back to the rest of us. And boy, like I said earlier, if there's ever a verse that ever makes me squeamish, it's this one. I struggle here. And I'm just going to ask that if you're not already standing, let's just stand as we set our hearts before the Lord. And let's just declare before we sing, Lord, I give you everything. Come on, let's do that together from the front to the back. Lord, I give it everything. I give it all to you. I give my life, and I give my talents, and I give my resources. Oh, God, I pray. God, I pray that you would do a mighty work here as we surrender it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue to worship the Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. We give it all to you, Lord. We give it all to you, Jesus. Everything We're not holding back, Lord. If you were with us through the fall, you know that this song was our theme song. It became our theme song after my sabbatical for our missions convention. In first service while I was worshiping at the end of the service, I was reminded, of something that our mission guest, uh, Bob Roberts, shared. Remember the story? If, for those of you that were here, he talked about sacrifice, and he talked about uh, the guy that sold his ring, and then it came back and went back and forth and uh, uh, several times. And I remember hearing that story, and during the worship response time, um, that the Lord encouraged me, to sell the watch that I was wearing that morning. You say, ah, all right, what's up with that? Well, it was a watch that I had saved and saved and saved for. And, uh, it was the first mechanical watch that I ever owned. And it was kind of a big deal. And I found it. It was, there was only 500 of these watches made in the entire world. And I was able to get my hands on one used. It's pretty cool. And, um, and I bought it used, and I paid less than half of what the original value was, so I thought I got a good deal. And I felt like at that response time, and I was reminded of it, it's first service, and I wanted to share it again. While I was worshiping, the Lord saying, oh, you can have it all, and hearing the story of the guy that gave his ring and sold it, and, and I just heard the Lord say, you like your watch too much. Oh, And so, and then I felt like the Lord just prompted me, you need to sell that watch. I said, all right, I'll pray about that, (laughs) right? Jeez. And I did, and I couldn't get it off my mind, and so by the end of November, I listed the watch on eBay, but I put it up super high so I keep on wearing it. (laughs) And it went all through Christmas and through the new year, and it didn't sell in fact, even Logan wore it a few times. Cool watch, right? And I, I had a couple offers that were kind of low balls, and I, I just denied them, denied. And Jessica and I, my wife and I, we hadn't really talked about, you know, what are we going to do with the money other than I knew I was supposed to give it to missions. And we talked about it on a Sunday night date night that we were on. Like, hey, if this watch ever sells, you know, maybe we could support some of our missionaries and there were three that came to mind. Rachel Nellis, our uh, children's director, she's going to Oman after uh, her semester is done. She'll be there for uh, three weeks. So we said, all right, yeah, we can support Rachel. Uh, Alexandria Wiggins, she was here first service. She's going to Africa for uh, a long time again and she's done that before and she just feels called and I say, yeah, we can support her. And then it's crazy, just that previous week, a, a kid from my children's church when I was a kid's pastor, I mean, a troubled kid, a kid that by all indication, this kid was not gonna make it. Jim, it's the type that you work with, just a a kid that was tough. And uh, in fact, his family life was just out of control. But anyway, he he contacted me by Facebook and said, you're not gonna believe it. I'm gonna face my my fear and I'm gonna fly for the first time I'm going on my first missions trip. And he was asking for support. And Jessica and I, we said, yep, we can do that. And literally, in the next two days, I got a full price, paid for, got $200 more than I originally paid, and the Lord is going to help these three get to the mission field. Isn't that cool? Yeah. And I don't say that, trust me, for any glory to me because I was a baby about it. I was not happy about it. In fact, <laughs> the crazy, you don't care about the detail. All right. It was just, it was tough. My son and my daughter, I mean, my wife was here first service. She's saying, oh, yeah, they know. And, uh, and I'm wearing a watch today. No big deal, right? I mean, I got, but uh, anyway, but the, the point is, when you live your life in a way that's saying, God, I'll give you everything, that point of joy, it's unspeakable. To be able to give Rachel a couple hundred dollars, to send a couple hundred dollars to Dayton, Ohio, where my ministry roots started, to be able to support Alexandra Wiggin, my joy was complete, is complete, as the Lord is my witness. And that is the best way to live. And so I pray for us that we will dig into the rest of chapter three on our own. We should download this song. We should play it on YouTube over and over this week. Okay, uh, find it. You can. It's called "Have It All" by Bethel, right? And uh, and you can listen to it. Let it be a blessing to you. But let me pray. Lord, I pray that as we go today, I pray that you would just be with us. That you're you would go before us, behind us, and around us. Help us to understand that. Joy is made complete as you become great and we become less. Oh, God, help us. It's a difficult lesson to learn. But Lord, I pray that you are doing a great, mighty work here at the Gateway Church. You are creating us. You're changing us, molding us. Not our natural nature, but Lord, you're you're giving us supernatural strength to live like you have called us to live. And so I pray that you would help us to go Go with us and bring us back again. Lord, we thank you. We praise you for all these things. We pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you. Go in the grace of God. Turn and greet one another as you leave. Thank you for being here this morning. Amen. Amen.